Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Greetings, my friends. Welcome to the podcast. Steve and Emily. Good to see you. Greetings. Oh, my word. What are you guys drinking this week? I I'm coming in strong, you guys. I just finished. I just made an AeroPress of our Ravel Blend, formerly known as the Highland Blend. It's just it's such a wonderful coffee. I'm drinking this week a mocktail in the spirit of me trying to drink a little bit less this month. I'm not doing a full dry month, but over the holidays I felt like I just drank way too much, like more than normal. So oh, man. I'm just trying to like dial it back a little bit. I'm um, just kind of like, you know, let my body heal a little. Um, so I, I made a mocktail. It's ginger ale. Um, I did put some alcohol in this. So I, <laughs> I'm not going full dry. <laughs> um, so I put in uh, just like about half well, an ounce. That's a cocktail. Well, <laughs> I don't know if this qualifies as a cocktail. But it has alcohol. So, so it's not here, a mocktail. You're not mocking a cocktail. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look, I'll tell you what's in this, and then words you define matter. It. So words mean things, okay? Oh, I know what we're talking about today. Wonderful, excellent. <laughs> we're gonna keep that energy about words meaning things. We did it. Um, so uh, I'm drinking ginger ale, and then maybe about half an ounce of this uh, liqueur from Montana. It's like herbaly, and it's kind of got this like undertone of blackberry. It's very good, very light, and then like ten dashes of orange bitters. Good lord. And a rosemary sprig. Okay. And to be honest, I cannot tell that it has alcohol in it. Like, I do get, like, because of the small amount of liqueur I put in there, I, I do get a little bit of sweetness. Uh-huh. But it mostly tastes like, like, sprucey, undertony ginger ale. Sure. No, the fact that you can't <laughs> taste it doesn't make it a mocktail, though. Like, yeah, if anything, it makes it more dangerous. <laughs> No, 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 no. I don't think you understand how little alcohol is in it. But like, but then why well, put like, it in? Okay. So little. But if you were like, hey guys, I'm just, trying to. Just for like the taste of it. But Josh, okay, okay. If, you, if you came to me and Emily and were like, I'm trying to quit cocaine, <laughs> but I'm doing a little bit of cocaine still. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> that's called weaning yourself off of it. No. <laughs> you can't go full withdrawals. Why not? I, I I'm being honest when I said I'm not doing a dry month. I'm just dialing it back. Yeah, it's a it's a. Um, I did not. It's put a any... moist. It's a moist month. Ugh, that's the worst. Yes, yes, it is a moist month for me. Thank Stop. you. Emma. That perfectly describes what I'm doing here. Does it? Yes. Are you kidding me? I think so. <laughs> Honestly, I chose that word because I know how much Stephen hates it. All right, moving Words on. Words mean things, Stephen. You can hate the word, but it's not wet. It's not dry. <laughs> It's absolutely a moist month for me. Or damp? Would you accept damp? Moving on. Emily, sure, what's yeah. your drink? 
<laughs> well then. Um, no, I am <laughs> drinking. It's from Tropicana, and it's called Caribbean Sun, and it's this wonderful mango-y, pineapple-y, cranberry juice. It's okay, so fantastic. This is a this is challenging because you're kind of almost describing just Sunny D, but no, it's, <laughs> no. But it's better than it, yes, it's better than that because it doesn't yeah. have that weird Sunny D taste. That's true. The Sunny D scientists were challenged with making orange juice without using oranges, and yeah, that's what we got. It's called that, Sunny D. That's exactly what. <laughs> so is that's that what, real? What? No, that's just no. a joke. Like, they actually were trying to do that. No, oh, that's okay. that's just a fun joke, you know. Just but play I mean, along, Josh. Jeez. But I will. You say, need more alcohol to be looser on the. Uh, okay, <laughs> I think you two need Next to like month. go back into your corners. Yeah. Take a hot second. Just kidding. Centering. No, but I will say this beverage that I found in the fridge here at the church is a nice beverage to kind of tie into. Uh, the upcoming of spring, hopefully soon, but still kind of nodding a bit towards like a festive. Oh, with the cranberry, yeah, with the cranberry, yeah. It's a very nice sure. in between seasonal it's beverage. A, yeah, so it's a bridge between the it's seasons. A bridge. Um, what one would almost say ordinary. Oh, like ordinary time. That's fun. We are in ordinary time for only a short window, though. Yeah, it's true. Lent is coming up on us pretty quick. Um, yeah, you're in ordinary time now, aren't you? Oh, wait, no, you're not. Yeah, yes, you are. Yes, we are. You are too, Josh. It's not just me. Everyone is. <laughs> Even the if you don't acknowledge world. it. <laughs> the whole world, as it were. Well, friends, can you tell that we haven't talked in a while and we enjoy joking around with each other and catching up a little bit? Um, I also would like to say that we are delighted to welcome another person to the Ravel community. They sponsored our drinks for this festive and fun intro, Jim has joined the group. Jim. And we Jim, are so Jim, excited Jim. about it. Jim. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much. Hi, Jim. Thank you. I also have an announcement that I am pretty sure neither Josh or Emily are aware of. Um, Uh-oh. What is I, this? Well, I wanted to celebrate that we just peaked 30,000 downloads for the podcast. <gasps> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. In the words of Thea, oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. Wow. Yeah. I, it's so crazy when those happen because like, I know that we are technically small podcast numbers compared to like the giants that get like, I don't know, you know, like 14 million downloads total. Right. But like, it still feels huge to me. Like the fact that like hundreds of people download every episode and we have now gotten 30,000 downloads total. Mm -hmm. Like. Mm -hmm. What? That's crazy to me. Pretty wild. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's listening and reviewing us and interacting with us on socials and giving us your thoughts. We really appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Cheers, friends. With clink, the beverages. Clink your glasses. Clink, clink. Um, do we have any other announcements before we start? I do not at this juncture, no. Excellent. Well, welcome to Ordinary Time, friends. Um, I will admit, I forgot it was Ordinary Time, but like, I've already been feeling this month after... Christmas that I just feel like so much like life is back to normal like mm. it is amazing how even like when you're not living in like liturgical settings constantly mm -hmm. that the last couple months of the year feel so they feel like so much as an adult like yeah. good or bad like in everything in between and like 
January just feels so fresh to me. Yes. It does. Thank you. It's wonderful. So welcome to Ordinary Time. Um, Stephen, I did not know exactly where I was going to go with this episode. I had not narrowed down my topics yet because as we discussed before getting on mic, I have too many to choose from that I'm like actively interested in. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. with your energy about um, words mattering, <laughs> um, I narrowed it down to two. Okay. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay. And that still didn't help you pick just one? You still have two for us well, to choose? No, I've now decided. I, I did a mental coin flip. Okay. I would like to ask you, how important is the labeling and language of purity in purity culture? Oh, good Lord. Ooh. First of all, a mental coin flip is just called a decision. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> I can agree with you there, my friend. Words matter. <laughs> Secondly, this is a fun one. Oh, sorry. I just have rosemary in my mouth. <laughs> I did not do a good job with like only putting in a sprig. There was also like little rosemary leaves. Yeah. I will be more careful. You got a little forward. salad going on in there. <laughs> salad. Um, yeah. Okay. So first of all, you made a decision for this topic, which is a great one. Uh, because I think that I made a decision to be pure at one point. And to us, that was defined as no sexual activity until married, though it was also kind of fun how even then the definition was really blurry and we as teens were pretty interested in being like, yeah, but how far is too far? Is like feeling Mm -hmm. each other's stuff like over the clothes okay or... You know, like, yeah. No, that's a really good point because I think already like in when you're in the throes of purity culture being taught to you i think that you're already questioning the definition because it is such a it's often given as such a spiritual definition versus like like a very tangible one so i think that's a really good point actually so steven you said something and i'm curious to know you said at one point you had made a decision to be pure obviously that's changed but would you say that then you are like no longer pure <laughs> yeah i made a hard pivot toward just being nasty <laughs> yeah like, like a filthy dirty rotten like well, what are we talking here no well what we were I've talking always been confused by that kind of language because i was not brought i was not brought up in a denomination or a household even for that matter where okay purity culture or language so, was used it was more or less just be smart <laughs> so this is this is fun. Usually I feel like Josh and I are asking questions from the outside in about Methodism. This episode, Emily gets to be the outsider and Josh and I yeah. are kind of like in the club on this one. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I say I made a decision to be pure, uh, one of the commitments that I literally signed a contract with Jesus. Uh, wait, wait, for- wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Pause. No, right I love there. this. I'm just like you. You had paperwork that was drawn up. Oh yeah, yeah. Like so, language Emily. that was written in legal terms regarding purity. Yeah. <gasps> I'm shooketh. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Okay, so there is was always will be. I'm not sure a curriculum called true love waits that from my understanding was pretty popular from like the mid nineties to the late aughts of the two thousands. Okay. 
Um, this was a curriculum that I went through with my youth group, with my co-ed youth group when I was in the seventh grade. And it was a number of weeks where the youth pastor, the youth pastor's wife and the leaders and their spouses and or girlfriends or boyfriends would talk about like the importance of saving yourself for marriage, which didn't like in no vague terms that pretty much just meant like, don't put a penis in a vagina until you're married. Right. And it was all about like the psychological and emotional damage that could happen to you as a person when you like become one with another human and take marriage or take sex out of marriage. It was like, well, you're doing stuff that married people are supposed to do that's supposed to like bind their marriage together with a few things in mind. That being like procreation was taught to me as the number one thing sex was used for. Recreation was the second one like it's fun and feels good and the third one was to basically like sex in marriage is supposed to protect you each from lusting after people outside of your marriage so it was like boys once you get married you're never going to want to look at porn again because you're going to have somebody to have sex with all the time oh boy that was at least the message i got wow um but yeah it, it really was so the the curriculum was I want to say like six weeks long and it culminated with a literal like we threw an extra like church service that week on a Sunday night, which never happened at my church. It was always a Sunday morning or Wednesday night for like youth small groups. But we did. So you knew it was serious. It was Sunday night. It was at night. Wow. The auditorium was dark. They kept the lights off and the whole place was lit by candles. And was this like a cult? I. Listen, <laughs> bluntly, yes, the what? cult of purity is a thing. But so oh. we did the ceremony. I led worship for it because I was a budding musician and liked being in front of people in that way. And then we did the ceremony where like our youth pastor dressed up in a suit and he stood up on the stage and one by one, each kid who had gone through this curriculum, we'd been sized for our rings. So we got, we all got purity rings on this night. And the purity rings were lined up with little name labels on this like nice velvet pillow. And one by one we would go up and then basically the youth pastor like read us like wedding vows to Jesus. Oh <laughs> and gave us my our purity rings. God <laughs> I'm cringing right now. <laughs> and there was there was an actual it was literally like a uh like, uh, you want to become a member of a church, like a statement of faith kind of thing. There was an actual paper with like a sign here, print your name and date it. And then like, keep it in your wallet to remind you of your commitment to oh God. your future spouse and for your purity. Wow. That is truly fascinating. Yeah, for real. And I don't want to make, I don't want to make a mockery of it. One, because there are plenty of people who still believe in this. And I think, if they were to believe in it, it's valid for them. I have no room to make fun of or, you know, to judge. I will say, however, being an outsider looking in and hearing this all for the first time, it is very <laughs> cringy. It is. Oh, yeah. Very cringy. I took it and so seriously. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I, I bet. I actually, I know you did. Yeah. I know you did. So 
Well, especially when it's like so spiritualized too. Like, how could you not? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you ask, because I made a choice to be pure at one point, what's what's the case now? I, instead of making the choice to just go the opposite way, I think I've truly like actually kind of deconstructed that term and this whole concept. And I think what we call purity inside the context that I grew up in, that I was taught and that I lived out for a while. How do I want to say this? Here's the way I want to say this. The bar is set intentionally too high to attain Mm. because like, I want to push back a little bit, Emily, on your not wanting to make a mockery of it because like if, you know, if it's valid for them kind of idea, because I think you can take that attitude if you're saying like you as an individual, I as an individual, Steven, took it very seriously that I wasn't going to have sex because abstinence is quote unquote clearly the safest sure. <laughs> thing or like ugh, there's whole conversations around that. But on an individual level, maybe that's true and maybe your attitude is warranted and like. I think it's very optimistic, I guess, where I think that it is an invalid system is the fact that the bar is intentionally set so high as to encourage a shame spiral mm-hmm. when an almost inevitable failure occurs, because really what purity culture is about is control of others' bodies and in particular young evangelical women. That's valid. And it's built that way to make you feel like you have to, like, if you're going to fit in, this is what you have to do. And if you quote unquote fail, yeah, I've, uh, that shame spiral is, I want to say it this way, designed to perpetuate, like, looking to church authority and God authority for healing and restoration. When at this point, I've made the choice to, not think it was that big of a deal to put it bluntly like i felt a lot of shame when i quote unquote lost my virginity when i was 16 to who is now my wife with who is now my wife i have to say i hate that term losing your virginity yeah that's why i put it in quotes that is why i put it in quotes yes It it is stupid well, I think that's what Stephen is highlighting too, right? Is like the yeah. like the the culture around it like makes it feel like you are losing something, mm-hmm. and that's why, like, honestly, that's why I wanted to bring this up because, like, I I really think words matter, especially around a topic like this. And I mean, I mean, I think we can use that phrase, and we like know what it means, and we know that like the culture perpetuates it. But I think we can like also very rightfully disagree that that is even like a thing, <laughs> mm-hmm. like functionally that that has any like qualifications on like the human because right. i'm right there with you i i think it's like i really get so I, th- this is where like i struggle with struggle with uh this is like why i don't usually talk about this too much in like public spaces or even like with friends too because like i've i've like tons of opinions about the whole purity culture movement in the united states right like i feel like i was only in like a purity culture light compared to steven it was totally like oriented towards abstinence and saving until marriage and i don't think it was very like it wasn't like high shame in the culture but like i felt tons of shame like when i fucked up you know what i mean like like i I think that it's just like built into the system even if you don't get like it heavy-handed emily i want before we like move on too far i really want to hear 
you speak more to like you being raised to like play it safe, I believe were your words. To be smart. To be smart. Yeah. I grew up in a household where it was encouraged that if you are going to make a decision like having sex, regardless if it's before marriage, like just having sex, just to be smart about it because you are allowing yourself to be vulnerable in ways that you aren't normally vulnerable to people. And you don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't want to be shamed. You don't want to get a disease or, you know, like harm yourself in any way. So just to be smart about it. And it wasn't to scare us. It was just to show the reality of, hey, like you could get pregnant. Just know that. You could get an STI. Just know that. And for me, it was also one of those things that when I knew I wanted to, and I knew I wanted to, I did it. And when it was not how I envisioned it would be, I learned from that and I moved forward, but I wasn't ever shamed. I wasn't ever Mm. guilted. And I never felt like, well, I'm never going to do that again. And I think it was because the way I surrounded myself with people who were supportive and encouraging and helpful rather than shaming and guilt tripping me. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's exactly how a lot of people who are teaching purity culture have tried to sell it as like, no, we're just telling people to be smart. But like, it feels like they've added on like so many other things. I I feel like Mm -hmm. it just gets conflated with that. Because like, those are like the aspects that I can 100% agree with. Like, oh, no, it is a big deal. And like, you should be very mindful of like your sexual output and your relationships. And it's like, it, it shouldn't be taken that lightly like it has real potential to do harm it has Mm -hmm. it affects you as a person like whether you like recognize it in the moment or not like abuse and trauma are very real and like those are all like really valid like points to talk about and teach children but i think for me it just gets so conflated right that that's all they're talking about and like there's well there's so much more to it (laughs) and i think it's this idea of you can't have it until you do this That, I think, is just a really good way of pushing people to then want to get married at a very early age. Not Mm. understanding what marriage means. Like, you know, I I knew of someone who they got married when they were 17. And like a year later, they got divorced and they had other partners. Like they didn't get married after that. But it was just like one of those things where that's a commitment. Like, that's not just something you say you're going to do just to do it. And so if you're promoting this idea of, well, you can't have sex till you're married. Well, then let's get married. Like, let's just check that step right off the list. You know what I mean? And also for those people who don't want to get married, who have no intention of getting married or have seen harm caused by marriages, you're also now telling those people, well, you can't enjoy this really good part of life until you make this sacrifice. Like, mm. it, it's one of those things where you have to know the person. And to just blanket smear this idea of purity or remaining pure on the chance you lose your virginity, you're no longer pure, then whose approval are you seeking? Because are you trying to tell us that we've lost God's approval? If that happens, like, are we then no longer worthy of grace and redemption? Then we have to like start all over again. That 
is just so toxic to me. I mean, I think some people feel that way, even if nobody explicitly teaches that. I think that it's implicitly given. That's awful. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. I want to return to my original question for a moment. How important do you think the language and labeling of quote-unquote purity is when we're talking about this culture that's been propagated by American Christianity? Because like Stephen pointed out that like he's like putting some of these things in quotes. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a definition of purity culture that I think we've defined by like me sharing my history, right? Mm-hmm. This is what it was all built around. And honestly, I think the word purity was kind of weaponized to be such. 100%. Uh, because it carries this energy of like unblemished, unspoiled, fresh, maybe even angelic, I almost want to say, of like a pure person. And again, in particular, because I think this culture is specifically setting its sights on control of female bodies and their lives um it really puts a lot of weight on girls and women to say like to be pure is one thing and if you are to quote unquote lose your purity lose your virginity right because mary was pure mary was a virgin and that was why she was chosen or whatever like that's that's part of it is virginity equals close to godliness i almost want to say because (laughs) you can be the fertile ground with which the holy spirit is birthed quite literally Mm. the opposite though is like all the unspoken stuff of like this is what purity is about and this is why we strive for it the opposite is to say you're ruined if you're not pure or you're spoiled for your actual husband if you sleep with your boyfriend in high school. Like, if you're ever to have a healthy sex life within marriage, it should only be with the one person you're ever going to have sex with because, like, they never even said this, but the undertone is there of, like, well, some people just like it differently and you should just learn the preferences of, your, of the one spouse you're ever going to have and, that, oh my and that's how you're going to do it forever, you know? Or like know what they like, be like serving in the bed, in the marriage bed or whatever. So that that is what it is. 
However, I think that was always weaponized and always co-opted from the Bible, in particular, a pair of verses that I just pulled up. The first one being Philippians 4, 8, and the second one being 2 Timothy 2, 22. Do you mind if I read these two? Go right ahead. Oh, please. Wow. What is this? The first time in five episodes we've actually quoted the Bible? Uh, Probably. I challenge you to check the show notes because very often we'll like glance <laughs> off of a Bible verse without referencing it, but I always find the reference and put it in the show notes. So that's a good point. Check out the history. Yeah, go for it. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And number two, pair it with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. What's your gut reaction? If you hear, when you hear pure, we've been talking about purity for 30 minutes here, that not being an option, like if if we were going to say the definition is actually not something sexual, what do you think these verses are talking about? What do you feel? Gut reaction? I'm curious. I, I definitely don't get anything sexual from those verses at all in the slice. Same. Other than like evil desires of youth, which is always associated with like lust or like wanting to look at porn or thinking a girl in algebra is hot, you know? Sure. So what do you think it is? I bet Emily knows I like the Greek and stuff, but. I, if I was going to take a stab at, uh, like original text in context, I think it would be much more aligned with like the idea of, uh, righteousness towards fellow human beings. Like, yeah. like your actions and your, like, like going back to like what Jesus, uh, would teach in terms of like anger being as just as bad as murder because like your, your intentions are, mm everything like regardless of whether you act on them yeah, yeah um and to be honest i think that you can like reasonably make an extension of that to like lust and sexuality as an implication even though i don't think it's like specifically talking about that but i would i would guess it's like talking more in lines of that like being yeah like a loving human neighbor to other yeah. people and like do what is human loving. dignity mm-hmm. and maybe there's like a sense of innocence as well like innocence to evil Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a verse about that. I think it's in Romans. I think it's Romans. But yeah, it's not, but know. not in a sexual lens. I I would agree with Josh. Yeah, I the word that I've enjoyed. I forget where I came across this tactic, but I've enjoyed when I come across verses like this, or honestly, the word pure that's translated into English, like however it comes from the Greek. When I see pure in the Bible. I have kind of retrained myself. I've metanoiaed myself, as it were, to think of this as like earnest. Oh, sure. Especially when you want to say like, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of an earnest heart. And like, I, I think it's really, really close to what you're saying, Josh, of there's like a purity of motivations. Like I truly want the best possible universe for my neighbor you know Mm, like mm -hmm. it's not a transactional thing of like if i treat my neighbor and if you want that you will not sexually assault your neighbor correct (laughs) yeah yeah like it like uh, their sexual acts could be or sexual thoughts 
could be encompassed in something like what Paul is saying is like spiritual purity. Yeah. But it definitely doesn't mean like you're not a virgin anymore. <laughs> like that's so far off base. And even then, like even if you're going to go with this like very rounded humanizing definition of purity, it's still not a fruit of the spirit. <laughs> like it's not even up there. Boom. So take that. Like <laughs> uh, I have a proposition for you guys before we get to the end. Please. Because I would like your thoughts on this because we've been like pulling on the thread of purity, how it's been misinterpreted, um, how it's been used in our lives. And I'm going to just make a proposition out here. I think even though we collectively, colloquially know it as purity culture, I think we should call it for what it is. And I think it is a disgust culture, not a culture of purity. Even if your definition of purity is like centered around that like rounded idea, I think that what we normally call purity culture I think is much more focused on disgust than it is any idea of like being mm-hmm. pure of heart. Right. There's some really interesting stuff around like disgust psychology. A great example is um, actually uh, a good example is the temperance movement. Um, I was just like reminded of the temperance movement today um, and how like the during the years of prohibition, like drinking was just like highly associated with debauchery and prostitution and organized crime. And so uh, in the in the popular mindset, like it was people who wanted to vote for the temperance movement kept popularizing that kind of disgust psychology of alcohol and that it like we should be disgusted by what alcohol leads to. Mm. Uh, there's many more examples that like disgust is used in like psychology for behavior change. But I think purity culture is primarily a disgust culture. And like going back to what Stephen was saying about like the words of purity and the language of it being weaponized sp- definitely against women, but men for sure as well to create shame and to make you feel literally disgusting to God and to other humans. I think it's just done like such harm to people that like, I, I think it like would actually do us good to recognize it as a disgust culture. Mm-hmm. Like going back to what Steven said, the words actually matter. Like I don't believe that a young 12 year old girl is more pure than a 40 year old woman who lost her virginity and then never had sex again. Like, I don't want to ever hear another pastor say that. (laughs) Like, you should not be describing people's bodies that way and like associating value to it based off of things they intended or not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to go along with this, I kind of want to stack on top of it because I think you're absolutely right. I think a disgust culture is a great way to label it. Its proponents will never call it such because they have to spin it in a positive way, (laughs) even though they're like just dressing up a turd. Yep. It really is, you reminded me of how often the verse in Isaiah is quoted about how we're like, how everyone is unclean and our, what we think are our righteous acts are as filthy rags before the Lord. Mm. And it like the people who were telling me this and like stacking this verse on top of the attitudes of purity discuss culture they loved to slow down on this verse and point out like do you know what filthy rags actually means it uh it actually means the cloth that women used to soak up their menstrual blood with and that's what's dirty like it really came down to like we're still yucked out by this uh so much so that i think if they had their way they would send <laughs> women on their periods out into the wilderness until it was and done. you know what? Like, I don't we want to deal with it. We would love it. Bye. We would love to get away from all of you. Right. Like, <laughs> even... Man. Man. It, 
a man invented the tampon and leave it to a man to be like, I don't want anything coming out of you. You let me shove something else inside you to make sure I'd never have to deal with that. (laughs) That's gross. That's bad to me. You know, I will say as one who menstruates, (laughs) (laughs) I, I see it from a slightly different angle. Yes, there is the sense of we don't want to see that. But as one who's been menstruating now for, um, what, 16 years, walking around with your underwear full of blood is gross. Mm, And so it is nice to have something kind of collected all for you and not have to walk around like you're in a soggy diaper. Totally. Fair enough. I just happen to be using the example as a way to like put down the culture, I guess. But But it's true. But that's very true. Which I which actually brings me back to a point I wanted to make about like the the framing and language of losing, quote unquote, your virginity. It's very tied to this actually. I think that the phrase losing your virginity exists because Virginity can really only be physiologically identified in a body with a vagina and an intact hymen. So Mm. what I mean by that Mm. is like a man can stick it in whatever he wants and a doctor, a trained medical professional would not be able to look at his genitals and be like, well, I can tell you've done it. I can tell you've had sex, but there, there is a mechanism by which like there's something identifiable in a female body, right? Which is unfortunate. Well, no, not really though. Yeah. Fair. True. Like it, it kind of like doesn't ex- work that way. And like it can even like reform and then other people like like break it during other things or like sometimes You can never break reforms. your hymen while riding a bike yeah. or like riding horseback. Yeah, correct. What I'm But I see what you're saying. Like but like it's associated that way. It is associated that way and what I'm trying to say is It's framed in like a loss framework because American culture and in particular American fundamentalist evangelical culture has made the female body an object of conquest. Mm -hmm. So you lose Mm -hmm. things when a conquering male claims it. And that's the fucked up part of that language is like when we're talking about losing Mm -hmm. your virginity, it's about right call it the patriarchy the male gaze like mm-hmm. our male dominated world it is about conquest i think that the I, I think you're right it's absolutely associated that way and i think that it like flies in the face of imago day theology like if you actually believed that people were like made in the image of god like why would you even like wh- like why would you even consider putting someone down in that way like if you still believe they're they're in the image of God and they're no less valuable as a human. Mic drop. Ah, uh, but usually this is also parallel with a fundamentalist complementarian attitude toward marriage, which won't say it out loud, but truly does think that the woman is of lesser value than the man in the family unit. Mm-hmm. Emily, I want to hear from you more. Um, yeah, I've been talking thoughts? a lot. I've been ranting a lot. Please. What, uh, what uh, thoughts about thoughts about what? <laughs> uh about disgust, about um the language that's used for quote unquote purity culture, mm. etc. As especially as someone who's like on the outside of this, really. I'm also curious to ask you, Emily, 
what you're feeling right now, like what emotions have come up because we're, we're doing a lot of talking about like bodies that menstruate bodies with vaginas and bodies that are, have historically been controlled by the church, by the government. Oh, sure. So like, what are what are, what are your like actual like emotions or feelings coming up right now? Miss Enneagram. Um, (laughs) I say this lovingly. Okay. This is coming from a loving place. I'm so used to hearing about men talk about my body that I don't feel anything. Like, even if it's two males who I deeply admire and I love, you know, having conversation with, it's like, oh, it's two more dudes. Like, Josh, (laughs) she's talking about us. (laughs) (laughs) It's two two more dudes. But that just reminds me of how deeply grateful I am being brought up in the family that I was brought up in to say, you have control over your body. You are not a possession. You are not some land to be conquered and then made, you know, (laughs) like someone's fertile ground. You're not this prize to be won. You are a person. You are a person of value. And just because you have a vagina does not make you any less of a person. And in a church, unfortunately, oftentimes it, yeah, women are second class citizens. It's this is your role. This is where you belong. This is what you can teach. This is what we want you to teach. This is how you can show your belief. Anything past that, we're on shaky ground. And so for me, being brought up in the household that I was brought up in to be a very strong and independent woman and being said a strong independent woman leading a congregation i think we turn the world on its head like i we are shaping a narrative that's saying no i am not a second class citizen and <laughs> and i have every right to do all these things and to believe and to say and so now Tying back to Josh's question, I think absolutely a disgust culture and really a power culture. We said that towards the beginning of this episode. And I want to highlight that again because it really is about dominion, control, fear, and power. And it's one of those things, unfortunately, that we find outside the church. But I think it is one of the most harmful things in the church is to say, I can control your body by saying you need to be pure. Guilt and shame and all that is in the world, but I think it's especially more harmful in the church because we tie salvation and redemption and grace to it. We don't do that Mm. in the outside world. We don't do that in a secular world. It's only found in a religious or spiritual context that... We say, you got to remain pure, no sex before marriage, you know, abstinence. Otherwise, you're tainted. You're now no longer upright. You are now faulty and you have lost this grace and this love. Like you, you got to, you're screwed. You're damned, right? We don't use that kind of language in the secular world. We just say, Mm. you know... Well, in the secular world, that's even a completely different conversation. But 
in a church setting, the language is framed specifically to get specific results. And that's what we have. It's fear, shame, power, and control. All framed to be discussed using the language of disgust and vulgarity and shame and pure and holy and righteous. Those are words that are triggersome and they do, they get the job done. I also think uh, you kind of made me think of like, I think that spiritual disgust like hits way harder because of those reasons. Like, I think like, mm-hmm. I think when we talk about disgust in non-spiritual ways, it's usually like, oh, I just want for a run. I'm disgusting. I need to shower. Or I just ate this like enormous burger. I feel disgusting. Like it's like very like like physically oriented usually, or it's like disgust at something outside of you that's like clearly evil, like something in the news or like a horror movie. Right. And it's something that you can control, whereas yes. spiritual disgust, you cannot. It's out of your hands. Like 100%. That's a great point about power. You perform like you had sex outside of marriage. That's disgusting. It's sinful. Your salvation is now out of your hands. Oh, yeah. Mm. Or even if like they don't believe that like you lose your salvation, I think that it's just like a it's just like a classic like scarlet letter A kind of thing. Oh, yeah. You're marked for life. Yeah, like what 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 spouse would want you? Mhm. And then yeah. I think it's I think you're absolutely right that like if people totally imply that like you are less spiritual or less connected to God or like less qualified for like leadership or teaching or, and not to say that like we don't like fuck up either. Like, I think that that's like a real thing to reconcile with. Like when you actually do something you should not have done or like someone in leadership does something they should not have done. I feel like that's kind of a different discussion, but that, I think that's a really great point about power. Those are my thoughts. I feel very aware of the fact that I've been breathing kind of shallowly and like very tight jaw. Um, I feel angry. <laughs> Emily, what can people like Josh and me, what can or what should we do in your opinion to not just be a couple dudes talking about female bodies some more, even though I think we're, we're on the side of like, hopefully you would interpret as like positioning ourselves as allies and like wanting, oh, to, absolutely. wanting yeah. to like both commiserate and also say like, yes, I've, I'm part of the system and I've helped perpetuate that in certain ways. Like beyond just being guys talking about it, what do you wish more men of our vibes would do Mm. or say? That's a good question. I think, I think it comes down to if you're having those kinds of conversations to not ignore and I'm not saying you guys ignored, but people do ignore the people that they are talking about, right? So I think it's you have you have to acknowledge the space that that person's occupying in that time in that moment and to give them the time that they deserve and to say like we're speaking to an issue that you really can highlight for us, you mm. know? Like that could be with any any topic. It could be with xenophobia it can be with homophobia it can be with race it can be gender ageism even you know like to talk about an issue that involves a particular group of people and then to not let those people speak is 
awful. <laughs> like you have to you have to acknowledge the people who are in that space and in that room. And I think too often we find even the best of allies mess up and forget. And so I think allowing grace to also fill the space. Cause I know there are times where I, you know, if I use the wrong pronoun, you know, I make the correction and I move forward and I make the best intentions to never make that mistake again. But you have to give yourself that grace of saying, Ooh, really fucked up that time. I need to acknowledge that. And I now need to make better choices to really stand up for this and to show my ally, show my allegiance, my my partnership in this moment. Um, and also the next time your significant others are menstruating, be like, hey, what size tampons do you need? <laughs> or, you know, don't just do the the usual, oh, do you need chocolate? Oh, do you need a back rub? It's like, no, bitch, I need pads. I need super pads right now. Please go get them. I don't care what colorful wrapper they are. I just need this size, right? Like, <laughs> show you care. Show that you're not grossed out because yeah. that's just a part of life. And really, if we weren't menstruating and if we didn't have that blood, then it would mean that we were having a baby. So you should be even more grateful that we bleed and <laughs> like we're able to create life in that sense. So, hmm. but you two, I think, are wonderful and you understand the importance of language and giving people. The space to not only share, but to learn. And you guys are also doing the same thing, which I think is wonderful and tremendous in many ways. So that's what I have to think. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Josh, do you mind if I kind of like lead us toward the closing here by telling my funny story about my purity ring? Oh, sure. Go for it. (laughs) I know know I've told the story. It's a great story. Podcast before, and I tweeted about it uh, a while ago. But um, so, we went through this ceremony, got my purity ring. It was very nice. Honestly, it's extremely close to like what my wedding ring is now. Uh, just obviously far cheaper, which comes into play because it was a very cheap metal. It was probably like painted pewter or whatever. Very soft, very brittle. But uh, so I had my purity ring and one of it was like it wasn't part of the ceremony it was just kind of like a personal commitment i had of like oh i it would be cool to one day be able to say that i made this personal commitment to like never take my purity ring off until it was replaced by my wedding ring so like showered with the thing like any activity i was wearing it including when dixie and i slept together for the first time when i was 16 <laughs> in a in a strange twist of irony and fate so I was wearing my purity ring when we both gave each other our virginities. And the day after, like we didn't spend the night or whatever. Like I went home, was racked with guilt and thought my life would never be the same. And she has since told me that she felt the same way. It was, it was like, it was a, obviously a physical and emotional high immediately crashed down to like the deepest of spiritual darkness uh is how it felt with all the shame and guilt that came with it but so like i went home and went to bed and the morning after my purity ring had cracked and as i noticed that it had cracked i held up my hand and i watched it fall off of my finger (laughs) 
like it cracked in two and fell off. And truly for probably a year or so, I legit thought that it was, that that was a sign from God. That's because it was. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That is, that's a story. Yeah. My gosh. Yeah. Pretty crazy. So like, I thought it would be cool to be like, yeah, I replaced my purity ring on my wedding day when she put the wedding band on. But uh, no, I lost my purity ring when I lost my purity, as it were. <laughs> Honestly, it's a great story. <laughs> it's, I think it's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I, I love the irony and the comedy in it. No. But you didn't then, did you? Oh, no, no. Well, so like, real quick, I'll shoehorn one more uh, final thought in here. The whole purity culture thing really ingrained in me and Dixie in particular, and I know other people who have felt this way, of like, once she and I had sex, we felt a tremendous cultural and spiritual pressure to make sure that we got married one day so that neither of us would have been guilty for ruining the other for their future partners. Of like, we didn't want to feel the guilt of like, like that's on my hands somehow. Like if she married someone else and they had sex and it wasn't as meaningful because of what we were taught about it, there was this vibe of like, oh, I think we have to get married now. And like that took us a couple years of dating before we got engaged to like really assess that our relationship was not just like continuing because we felt guilty for having sex before marriage with each other Mm. that was a big deal and i hate that that is like part of the legacy of that culture of like how many horrendous relationships and marriages are still going on because they were just like racked with that much guilt of being like oh like we're sealed to each other now we can't do anything about it you know well here's to moving on from self-disgust, disgust of others, and what I very endearingly call disgust culture as a whole. Cheers, I guess. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> I would be disgusted if you did not cheers me. Oh. So good oh. choice. I'm so glad. Um, Emily, would you like to close this out? How would, how would you close a conversation like this here? Do you have a word? Uh, the, the word for the day <laughs> is love. That's what it comes down to. It's loving people's choices, loving and respecting people's choices, their bodies, their beliefs, and having the words for how we feel and what we believe in is important. And my hope is that the words that we choose to use are life-giving and show this essence of deep connection, intentionality, and authenticity. 